The following program brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by the members of CFCI and their guests should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal, and any tax advice on the show is not intended to be used by any persons for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax. Penalties that may be imposed on such persons and each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. The representatives of CSCI and their guests are not providing legal or tax advice, and nothing should be construed as a solicitation to offer or buy securities. Now enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Jim Inman here in the studio. Welcome to Your Money with David Hayes. Glad that you are joining us here on WGCL. And uh, glad to see my friend Doug Hughes in the studio as well. How have you been? I've been very good. I've been uh, doing a little bit of travel, and I'm back. Um, But uh, excited to be here and live in studio and covering some questions that people have. They're concerned about, thinking about, which... Why we have this radio program to give information <laughs> to help people move forward and the things that are on their minds. But uh, yeah, glad to be here. Glad to have you, sir. And uh, joining us on the phone is Mr. David Hayes. Good. Uh, what is it, morning or afternoon? Where you're at, David? Uh, it's eleven thirty-six, actually. So it's kind of a uh, kind of morning as we record this a little bit early on a Thursday to accommodate all of our calendars schedules. But uh, I'm actually in Scottsdale, Arizona. I just left the client. I'm going to head over to the Barrett Jackson this afternoon, where a local wolves selling a 1967 Corvette convertible on Saturday. So we're out here to support him, and I brought my son with me, Will. So he is hanging out uh, back in the hotel. I think he went shopping for his girlfriend for Valentine's Day this morning. So I'm going to head back, grab him, go out to the auction uh, tomorrow morning. Got another client meeting out here uh, for breakfast, and then. We'll be spending pretty much the rest of the day and all day Saturday at uh, at Scottsdale, Arizona's world-famous Barrett-Jackson car show and auction. It's going to be fun. It always is fun. My third time doing this, and uh, it's a great time to go to Arizona and uh, in late January when it was negative two last Sunday, I think it was, when I came into Bloomington, and it's uh, 65 today, I think, here in Scottsdale, so I'll take this all day long. So for those that are listening and aren't familiar, what is the Barrett-Jackson Car Show? So Barrett-Jackson, um, there's a, there's like Meekum and Barrett-Jackson. And, and most people, you know, if you're a car person, you know what Barrett-Jackson is. So it's they have, I think, four, maybe five auctions a year. Uh, it starts off early in the week, and it's everyday ordinary cars, usually on Monday and Tuesday. But then by Wednesday, you get into a lot of the old restorations. So you have Ford Broncos. Cutlasses and all of that. Uh, you get into the Ford Shelby's and all the hiring cars on the weekend, and it's an auction. So it's a car show in one aspect because all these cars, thousands of them, are here. They have like eight tents. They have them indoors, so everywhere. So you can walk around and enjoy looking at all these old older cars uh, that have all been restored, and then every single one of them gets sold. And it's hard to believe that they sell that many vehicles over the course of this many days, but it's it, Quite a, quite a scene, and Saturday will be the pinnacle. So if you're watching, I think it's on the History Channel, uh, watch it um, before 30 to 5 o'clock local time, which makes it 6.30 uh, Eastern time, 
and watch for that 67 in Resto Mod to come across the block. Hopefully it brings a record number like it did last year. He was the number one seller last year. It's the best-kept secret in Bloomington, and which I think it's fine it's a secret in Bloomington. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for him, it's a great story. Uh, retired UPS driver turned professional car builder, and here he is, you know, uh, the number one guy at Barrett-Jackson selling that type of a vehicle. So that's the Barrett-Jackson. I, that is awesome. That is awesome. Well, we've got a Q&A show today, but uh, a couple of little headlines here real quick before we get into that. Americans are rapidly becoming more upbeat about the economy, according to a Wall Street Journal article this week. Consumer sentiment surged 29% since November. That's the biggest two-month increase since 1991, according to the University of Michigan on Friday, um, adding gauges showing improving moods. So now Americans are bucking up as inflation cools and the Federal Reserve signals that interest rate increases are likely behind us. And with that solid labor market putting money in the bank accounts of freely spending consumers, recession fears for 2024 are fading. Now, despite the recent sentiment gains, the measure is still about 20% lower than before the pandemic took hold in 2020 and nearer to levels consistent with an economy just emerging from a downturn, not one that recorded surprisingly strong growth last year. So 2024 started off on a high note, Doug. It has, and uh, people are looking to... um to continue on spending and uh, when you're you know the unemployment rate is where it's at people kind of feel that way if you did begin to see an uptick in unemployment there might be a shift in thoughts about that but uh, you know I've been spending the last few days listening to a lot of economists and you know, just people talking about um, this year this year in particular because it's a presidential election right. year and things of that nature and uh, there's still a lot of curiosity obviously about the presidential election coming but um, it's like I told someone at lunch today, um, it, right? When, when human beings get excited about something, it doesn't really matter who the president is. And right now, AI is the hot, hot topic, mm-hmm. and the money is flowing that direction, those investments. And I don't think whoever was president right now would matter as we're looking at the march of human beings going forward with technology. And that's the hot thing today. But, Jim, as we know, in investments and in economics, that could change pretty quickly. The whole AI thing just uh, fascinates me. I mean, the what it's going it, to do for the will, future. It will continue to as well. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to dive into our question and answer show this week. We've got questions. I know people are already asking. They want to get their taxes filed. When are we getting our forms and everything? So we'll touch on that here in just a little bit. Uh, talk about Indiana 529 plans. We'll talk about IRAs. we got a couple questions uh, through our Ed Slot Elite IRA Advisor Group. Um, just a variety of things that have come in over the last few weeks. Of course, if you have any questions, you can always send them to us, cfci.us, and we'll get those answered to you right away. But may use them on an upcoming show as well. Let's take a break. We come back. We'll start on the question and answer show. Stay with us right here. Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back once again to Your Money with David Hayes. Jim Inman and Doug Hughes here in the studio. David Hayes joining us live on the telephone today for our question and answer show. So it's uh, the middle of January-ish, and the phones have been ringing for people calling wanting to know when they are going to be getting tax forms. And there's so many pieces connected with this, Doug, as you're shaking your head, like, yes, I've already heard these as well. So I'm going to throw it over to you first. Uh, When should people start expecting tax forms from 2023 so that they can begin the filing process? Well, 
so the first thing I think people uh, should remember is that most of these forms don't come out till about the end of January to begin with. So mm-hmm. sometimes people get them a little bit early, but most of the time they're out by the end of Janu- January, early February. Um, one of the things that I always like to remind people about is if you had a unique event, like if you did a rollover in the year, there's going to be extra tax forms that are going to be coming through from different places. So uh, the, people might be thinking about, okay, what did I do in 2023? I think that's a good place to start with your tax reporting. Like, did I do a rollover? Did I take a distribution? Did I have a loan of some kind? Did I make a contribution somewhere? All of those different items can bring about an extra document than just your W-2 or your 1099. So I think mm-hmm. making a list of, of where potential tax forms or what events could trigger a tax form is, is one thing. The other thing is I think that, that most people need to recognize that the IRS won't be accepting tax returns until the 29th of January. So, you know, I know people get anxious about it. I'd like to get it behind myself too, but uh, probably taking a little bit of pause and just waiting to catch up a little bit is uh, probably necessary. David, anything you want to add on tax forms? Yeah, you know, the 1099s are, you know, what we deal with mainly. W-2s, they're usually out. If you took a distribution from an IRA, retirement plan, you'll get a 1099-R. If you didn't take anything out of an account, you won't get one. Um, Interest dividends, buy sells, mutual funds, all that kind of stuff, you need to be patient because a lot of times, uh, back in the, I say the old days, they would send out a 1099 and that had all the transactions on it, and then a month later you would get an amended one. And you'd be, I've already filed my taxes. What do I do? And now you have to amend your taxes. So the the, the firm started saying, you know what, we're not going to send out one unless we know it's it's pretty well solid. So a lot of times you may not get your final tax documents if you're an investor until maybe March. So just be patient, like Doug said. Write down where you should be getting them from and just be patient. K-1 forms. Yeah, so K-1s, these are going to be related to a business uh, business income, partner business partner income, losses, dividends, they don't arrive till about mid-March. Now, if you're going to get a K-1, you know you're going to get a K-1. Mm-hmm. They don't just happen to, to to just everyone who has regular income, whether it's W-2 or 1099. You, you know that you're going to get one, but they come out about mid-March. And you can still make a contribution into like an IRA in 2024 if you've not filed your taxes yet. Right, correct? up to April 15th. Yeah. Or 2023, yeah, 2023, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit of a time yes. it, so you to catch up and whatnot. Okay. Yeah. I think you and, and Wayne probably covered contributions a show or two ago, and that's yep. probably a good show for people to take a, a re-listen to just to remember what the contribution limits are and uh, what changes have been made there. Okay. Next question uh, was a client in the office that was asking about this. They are considering an Indiana 529 college choice plan, but they've also heard about UTMAs and UGMAs. So they're trying to determine what the difference is between the three and what's right for their grandchild. David? Yeah, I mean, I can I can take this one if you'd like. Um, so a UGMA, a unified gift to minor, or a UTMA, unified transfer to minor account, um, is a custodial account, and it will become their kid's money at age 18. In some cases, it can be as, much, as late as 21. Um, so it is the kid's money. You're the, you're the custodian, and I think after the age of 14 or 16, both the custodian and the child have to sign or request for money to be distributed. Um, you know, it certainly can be used for education. That's not a problem and commonly is. But the 529 plan, that's, that's more of a federal plan that was designed years ago to allow you to save money for education for a beneficiary. 
uh, in Indiana, you can put up to 7500 You can put more than this in, but you get a tax credit of 20% up to the first 7500 that you put in. So that's a real good benefit. And then with the rules change with Secure Act 2.0, you don't have to worry so much about, well, number one, you own the, you own the account. There's no date where it flips over to the beneficiary automatically like it is in a UTMA or an UGMA. Um, the 529, you maintain complete control of that. And then, as we all know from listening to this program, part of the Secure Act 2.0 regarding leftover dollars in a 529 plan can now, if, if, if open for 15 years, can be rolled into an IRA for the beneficiary up to $35,000 over their lifetime. Um, now, they have to be able to contribute to a Roth IRA to be able to roll it in. So you have to have earned income under certain earnings limitations. But most kids, they're you know, 22, 23, coming out of school, and parents have had 529 open for 15 years. I doubt they're making enough money where they would not qualify for a Roth IRA. If they do, good for them, right? Good for them. But that's, that's really the difference between them all. And then, Doug, you go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, too, one thing that people should be aware of is that 529s are for education. And so, um, like everything else we always say, um, it's always easier to get into something than it is to get out of something. And so just know the rules about if you decide to not use it for education or if you decide you know, not to move it to the, to the Roth. One thing, too, um, college 529 plans, particularly the Indiana plan, it, it is in mutual funds. And sometimes people want to buy individual stocks. For their kids or their grandkids, that that kind of thing, and that's where mm-hmm. the UPMA and the UGMA kind of I think come into play a little bit clearer. If someone wants to, and I've had this experience before, where people are like, I, uh, I, we we as a family really like one family I know they really like John Deere, and they want to buy John Deere stock for their 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 grandchildren, and so that that's a little bit different account. So I would say that that just know the rules coming out of of the five twenty nine, and it's for college, and then also if people are wanting to do something interesting or special with an individual stock, it would be an upmer. And if the beneficiary of the college choice plan decides he or she is not going to go to school, mm-hmm. they're not stuck with that. There's a new option in the Secure Act 2.0, correct, of how they can move that money out and potentially... Right. That was, that was, the, that was the rollover to okay. a yeah. Roth IRA provision. Yeah, that's right. And, and they can also move it to an, another beneficiary. Okay. Like if, if mom and dad have two kids and one child decides not to go, one decides to go, they can transfer the money that from the one who decides not to go to the one who decides to go. Easy enough. Okay. You, anybody can open a 529 anywhere? I mean, is that something pretty simple to set up? Yes, it is. And the people can go online uh, to, to, uh, to open to College Choice, Indiana College Choice. Uh, but they can open it up anywhere. But for Hoosiers particularly should be opening it up in Indiana because of the opportunity for um, some tax uh, credits. Okay. Let's take a break, guys. When we come back, we've got a question about um, a gentleman who is in his second marriage, and he has adult children and minor children, and is curious about uh, Social Security benefits on that. Also, we'll uh, be talking about a couple of IRA questions as well as annuities and much more. Stay with us. We'll be back in a couple minutes here on Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back once again. Your Money with David Hayes, Doug Hughes, Jim Inman, and David Hayes on the telephone with us today. It's a question and answer show. Again, if you ever have any questions you'd like to uh, throw to us, head over to cfci.us and uh, get that submitted through the Contact Us page, and we'll get you a response right away and uh, may use one of your questions on an upcoming show. 
Uh, question here uh, came in into the office this week. I am in my second marriage. I have two children who are adults and two children under the age of 18. I am considering accessing my Social Security benefits, and I'm wondering if my minor children would also receive benefits. David, you want to start? Sure, sure, yeah, because this was a situation that actually came up twice in the last month. So um, this is where someone is Social Security eligible. They have children under the age of 18, which means if they elect to take their benefit, then their children will also be able to receive a benefit. Now, there's a family maximum, so if you have three or four kids and you're taking your own, there, you may very well hit that maximum. But the oldest, the oldest kid rolls off, that extra money goes to, that, you know, kind of that cascades down. Um, the, the issue that I had in, in asking this person to go ahead and to delay, at least until full retirement age, was that his spouse was, you know, about 15 to 20 years younger. And in that case, um, you know, that benefit would also go to her. So we want to delay it and get the biggest benefit. Now, if we would have gone to 70, which might have been mathematically the right thing to do, if everyone lived a, you know, wonderful life well into their 90s, then, you know, there's some math that could support that. But then they weren't going to be able to receive benefits for their oldest child. So we decided to go ahead and file for uh, Social Security at full retirement age. Um, so he'll receive that, and then the children will also pick that up. And one of them is actually only 10, so we'll get eight years of, of money. Now, that money goes into a, a different account for the benefit of the child, but it's pretty loose on what it can be used for it's to support the child. So, you know, you have to put a roof over their head and food and education, all the, all the normal things. Those are, uh, that's what it's used for. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something you need to know about if you're in that situation. Because the IRS, the IRS, the Social Security Administration, is not going to be calling you up to say, "Hey, we realize that you have children, minor children. Did you know that this was a a possible uh, outcome for you and your family?" You, you know, David, as uh, we're going through this, it just reminds me how valuable that having just Social Security conversations are with your advisor, and so many different things that you can uncover and you can plan and you can use to make the most of Social Security. And I know that for many years we've been talking about this, and uh, there were some big changes that happened in 2015. <laughs> like almost overnight, we were doing an education uh, program about Social Security, and, and like a night or two later, everything changed. Uh, and we just want to be advocates for people to let them know that Social Security is a question they should be thinking about, and there's a lot of details there that if you're not careful, you might miss. Yeah, good news is we have Jolene Dixon, who works uh, for the Social Security Administration, a uh, good friend of mine as well, on the show coming up, and we'll cover all kinds of things from situations like that to everything else under the sun. So that'll be a good show that uh, you will not want to miss. Are, if you have, say, a 16-, 17-year-old child who is getting these Social Security benefits and they've got a, a part-time job, does anything change with anything at all with that? Or just I just was curious if it's still the same. Oh, Doug's nodding yeah, his head. Yes. Question, yeah. Jim, and 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 I'm going to give you what I believe is the answer that they would still be subject to earnings limitations, which is what. But I could be wrong on that. But I will verify that and let everyone know because. But you know, you're going to have a kid 16 years old. They're not going to. They're not going to be earning 20 grand a year, which is about where the earnings limitation is before they start dinging you. But I believe that they are subject to earnings limitations. Okay. Uh, another tax question here. This was an Ed Slot uh, IRA question. Is my traditional IRA contribution deductible? The Doug? answer is yes. I mean, the, oh. the answer is it well it depends, right? It depends on uh, are you already in a qualified plan through work? What's your income? 
uh, all of that. So it just kind of depends. Most people, I would say, yes, it probably is deductible, um, but not everyone's deductible. And if if you do put a non-deductible IRA contribution in, you can can do that. Um, You just need to make sure you file a Form 8606, and that's to create a basis in your retirement account. Because if you don't, if you didn't deduct it, then you don't have to pay taxes on it when you take it out. But you need to keep track of that for that to happen. Doug, anything you want to add? Okay. Uh, one more question here on IRA distribution. So do I have to take my required distribution from each account that I have? Doug, I'll let you answer that one. Sure. So generally, yes, but there is an exception for IRA accounts. You can calculate your distribution from each account that you have and then combine the distributions from all like accounts and take the distribution from one account or any combination of those like accounts that you have. Like accounts are all accounts you own or all accounts inherited from the same person. So the answer is you can you can have several IRAs. You just need to make sure the calculation is correct, and you can take it from one or you can take it from each one. We have a lot of different ways that you can do that. But, yes, you need to make sure you have the total taken out no matter where it comes from. Okay. Yeah, and I think in, in Bloomington especially, you know, we have a lot of Indiana people that they had TIAA or Fidelity and those are not IRAs. Those are 403Bs or 401As or TSAs. And as Doug pointed out, you, ha- you can't aggregate those with IRAs. Those all have to be taken separately, individually. So that's why I'm always a proponent of once you retire, just get everything into an IRA. You only have one set of rules to follow. You can do you know, your qualified charitable distributions more easily. You can manage your RMDs more easily. It's just easier to have it all under one type of registration, which in this case would be an IRA. Sounds good, guys. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about annuities in retirement planning um, and differences between, as we just kind of touched on a little bit, a 401k Roth and a Roth outside of the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back to Your Money with David Hayes, brought to you by the Like Law Group. Lance Like at the Like Law Group give you, yourself, and your family the peace of mind that comes with proper estate planning. Call Lance Like at the Like Law Group, 812-323-8300. Jim, when we were uh, at break, you uh, went, well, before winter break, you said we're going to talk about annuities in retirement planning. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot that we can talk about here. So why don't you fire some questions at me about it and we'll. We'll take it from there. Well, it is just a broad question of wanting to know what are different uses for an annuity when it comes to retirement planning. So I think we should say this. There are different types of annuities. There are income annuities, and there are um, what you would call just point-to-point annuities, meaning that uh, they work like they have a time frame. They're capital preservation, and they have a time frame. There's also some that accumulate money. Uh, they're invested in the market. So we should go through which, which each one is, and we can talk about how they fit into retirement planning. So the first thing to know about an annuity is it comes from the Latin word annua, annual. And so uh, there is a benefit that comes on an annual basis from annuities. Some of them pay income. Some of them lock in gains. Some of them pay interest uh, on, on an annual basis. But they are honestly a contract between the uh, person who purchases it, invests in it, and an insurance company. It's simply a contract that gives some kind of a benefit to to the person who is involved in it. 
So let's talk about the different types. The first one is what's called a variable annuity. Now these are the ones that sometimes get a little bit beat up in, uh, in the media uh, by different folks because they have fees with them. What they do is they allow you to invest some premium, you buy sub-accounts, and those sub-accounts work very much like uh, mutual funds or ETFs that people own outside of variable annuities. Oftentimes, actually, you'll see the same names of the mutual funds you may own inside of a variable annuity. But they are invested in the market, so you choose an asset allocation. And you have a point in time that that is going to be invested. And you just let the money accumulate. Now, on a variable annuity, you can add riders, and riders are simply either a death benefit, meaning that if I invested 200000 and the market was bad and I passed away and the market value was 150000 my beneficiaries would get a check for 200000 Now, that's different than just being in mutual funds or in a managed account, so you have a death benefit protection. Another protection can be a protected lifetime income stream, and some people use a variable annuity for that. They put X amount of dollars in, they're guaranteed this amount of income, and on an annual basis, if the market value is higher, even after income, they lock in that higher market value and then their income increases. So you do have the possibility there of locking in gains to increase your income, your protected lifetime income as you go along the way. So variable annuities, uh, as we always say, it's not what they, they are, it's what they do. So for people who want to be in the markets, and have a death benefit wrapped around it. If people want tax deferral, meaning they're not paying tax until they take it out, and then they'll pay tax only on their growth, that's a good accumulation vehicle. Or if people want to use it for a guaranteed lifetime income that has the opportunity for increase, that's how you use a variable annuity. Okay. Next, there is a fixed annuity. Now, they're not the same thing, although I say to people they act the same way. As a bank CD, so a CD is to a bank what a fixed annuity is to an insurance company. If an insurance company wants to raise some capital, they will issue five, seven, eight, ten-year fixed contracts where a client can expect guaranteed principal and a fixed interest rate that doesn't change. So you get five years, five percent. You know exactly what you're going to get. You know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what it matures. It's very, very simple. <laughs> For years, those have been a little bit uh, left behind because interest rates have been low. But recently, we've seen an uptick in those because their interest rates have been very good for longer periods of time than, say, bank CDs. And so people have been moving to those. Uh, the next would be what's called a fixed indexed annuity. Uh, like the fixed annuity, the, the capital, the, the money you put in, is protected. So there's capital preservation. Your return, however, is based on the return of a particular index, whether it's the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or you, there's any number of indexes that are out there. And if the index is up on that particular anniversary date, then you participate in a portion of the return, not all of the return, but a portion. In exchange for that, if the market is down, your account is flat. So you never go backwards. You only go forwards. You just don't go forwards as high. Mm -hmm. So um, those particular contracts, I've been involved with those since 2002, and they provide clients uh, a, a really good capital preservation way to do probably better than, than fixed accounts. Um, that's the pursuit and that's the hope. So those are fixed, indexed, and again, they're annuities. They enjoy the same tax deferral and the same capital preservation. 
Uh, the last one we'll talk about uh, is the immediate annuity, and this is one that uh, there isn't a lot of play here. We don't hear much about this, but this is the one where you give your money to uh, an insurance company. In exchange for that, they pay you out <coughs> over a specific period of time, and you choose that 5, 10, 15, 20-year um, return a premium type of annuity where you're just you're giving the money to the insurance company and they're giving you that income back with some interest on top of that. Um, there's not, again, a lot of play. And, and until interest rates have gone up recently, they haven't even really been that exciting. But these are for people who um, know about themselves that they probably shouldn't have access to be able to get a hold of all their money at one time. Mm -hmm. uh, these work very, very much like a pension. Um, there are some people, however, who would put a, a lump sum into something like that for protected income and then invest their money somewhere else because it is, like Social Security, a very low-cost way of having protected income. There are just certain restrictions with that that, um, that that people should be aware of. You can't call all of a sudden and get your money back, so to speak. But anytime someone invests with an annuity, um, you always have to ask some basic questions. Uh, like anything, you, you want to know what does this do? What objective is it meeting? And if it meets your objectives, then next, what are the parameters? What is the liquidity? How does this work in my overall plan? Not just I don't like it because of the name, but how does it work in the overall plan? Um, and then you, you want to know what fees look like. What do they cost? Are are they are, are the fee are no fees withdrawn? or uh, are fees coming out another way, or, or are the fees explicit? What are those fees? And so it's always fair to know that about every investment that you're invested in, um, not just annuities. But it, again, it's not what it is. It's what they do. They've been around a long, long time. And uh, even back in the days of the Civil War, soldiers got annuity payments uh, for their families oh and for the time of service. There are even some reports that the, because the word is Latin, that uh, they were actually back in the time of the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers who got annuities for their spouses if they were killed, you know, on the battlefield. So this idea of having a, a guaranteed income from a pooled source has been around for a long, long time. That was an incredible lesson, Doug. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a reader. <laughs> What can I say? David, anything you want to add to that one? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. That works. Absolutely nothing. All right. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, we've got a question about workplace 401k, Roths, and Roths outside of the workplace. Also, um, a question about why somebody needs a financial advisor. So we'll take those here in just a couple minutes. Stay with us. Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back once again. Your Money with David Hayes, Jim Inman, Doug Hughes, and David Hayes joining us on the phone. Today's show brought to you by Kenny Bland Auctions, your full-service auction service offering pre-planning the sale of your estate or real estate. You can visit them online at KennyBlandAuctions.com. Great fan of the show. Much appreciated out there. All right, David, we'll throw it to you for this one. What is the difference between a workplace 401k Roth and a Roth that is outside of the workplace? And are there giving limits to each and or different rules? Yeah, the answer is yes. And, and, and the other thing, you can own both. You can own a Roth IRA and you can have contributed to the Roth 401k. In fact, 
catch-ups for people over 50 are going to be required to go into the Roth portion of the 401k, and, and they're going to have an option to make the employer match go into the Roth side as well. So you can have both. I mean, obviously, you have to meet some income limitations or be under certain income limitations uh, to have both outside and inside. But on the inside, you do not, doesn't matter how much money you make, everyone that has a 401k can, can contribute, and the contributions that go into that are about double a little more than double of what you could put into a Roth IRA. So that's the main difference between the two. Um, you know, there were there were a lot of other differences, but the SECURE Act thankfully uh, fixed a lot of those where you had to take RMDs from a Roth 401k. That's been fixed. You don't have to do that any longer. Um, so there used to be a lot. I'm not going to go into the what it used to be, but those are the main differences right now. Okay. Doug, anything you want to add on that one? Well, I just think that, uh, you know, the, the Roth IRA came about by a senator from Delaware, Charles Roth, interestingly enough, and it's been around for um, 19, since 1997, and it's a great vehicle. And, and I just think that if people aren't aware of the Roth, the Roth 401k, and what Roth is all about, it's something that they should be involved in and know some opportunities like the College 529 that can go into the Roth, Roth conversions that David has talked a lot about, contributions, and and, and making sure that they understand the power of the Roth 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now, depending on where they're at in retirement, because this opportunity to, to, to cause Roths to be very large, a very large bucket of tax-free money, it's a big deal. And I, I just think that um, if people aren't as familiar about it, they should give us a call and, and just uh, have a conversation about what, what Roth means in the, in the big scheme of things. It started out, Jim, $2,000 a year could go into the Roth. And for many years when we would see Roth IRAs, they weren't large sums like the 401ks were. But now we're beginning to see a little bit of a tilt. And so I think if people aren't familiar with it, they should be becoming very familiar with it. Okay. Next question is, uh, we have a gentleman who inherited a home that he lives in now. Uh, He inherited this house back in 2008. So he's wanting to know if there's a way to determine the fair market value of the home in order to get a cost basis because he's worried about capital gains and anything that's tied to that because he came into it in kind of a unique circumstance. So, David? Yeah, so if he inherited the house in 2008, then that is the year that the cost basis is established. Now, I don't believe that Indiana had an inheritance tax um, at that point. Uh, I think it had already it had already been uh, wiped away. Because it used to be if you had an inheritance tax return, you had to get appraisals and valuations of everything, and that was documented. So the answer would be, you know, you have to guess, to be quite honest. But if you go back and do some history and say, okay, things were selling in this area, this subdivision, whatever, at, around this price range at this point, you know, show you did a little bit of research, use that information to go forward. Now, if they if they establish it as their personal residence, that's an entirely different story because if you're single, you know, you can have up to a quarter of a million dollars uh, tax-free from the gain on your personal residence. It's a little more than double that if you're married. Um, so it kind of depends on what the use of the home has been. Uh, but that's that's the way cost basis is established. You go back to that 2008 time frame, do the best you can coming up with a number, and then if you sell it today, the difference between what it was worth in 08 and what you got out of it today, that is your gain. Okay. 
Good deal. This is a question I'm sure you guys have heard at different points in your careers, and it's a, it's a pretty basic one, but it's a lot of stuff to uh, respond to. My husband and I have done well in our minds for retirement planning. We follow the markets. We read and review our investment statements. We work towards goals that we created some time ago. So why do we need a financial advisor? And Doug, you're already shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I mean, first of all, congratulations to them. Uh, they've done a wonderful job. But I think the statement that they said uh, probably explains why they need a financial advisor. My husband and I have done well in our minds. And so one of the things that is so important about financial planning is to take a step back and to say, this is such an important part of my life, because I'm not just planning for one, I'm planning for two, and I'm planning for very long periods of time, as we're talking about retirement, um, it's always good to have a second opinion or another view uh, of how things are looking. Because, Jim, when it comes to retirement planning, we mentioned it earlier, you may have hit all the maximums with the IRA contributions, you may feel good about your asset allocation, but what about Social Security planning? Have you done your homework on that? What about beneficiary planning? What about uh, charitable giving in retirement? What about some of the things that we talk to people about, um, the lifestyle of retirement planning, uh, not just the income and the performance? So there are a lot of things that advisors do that um, that that is ver- that are very valuable. And, you know, the right advisor, a good advisor, no, nobody cares about your money as much as you and your family and your advisor. And I think that's an awfully good advocate they have there. One thing I will compliment this couple on, too, is that they say they've done this together. But I went to, as you know, the Wharton School of Finance and studied behavioral economics. And one of the things I remember back in the day when I was going through this and writing all these plans for people, they would always say, most commonly, couples aren't on the same page whether it's the amount of income they need, the risk tolerance, um, how often they're going to rebalance their portfolios, all kinds of things that people just aren't necessarily on the same page when they have you know, a, a, a person they're married to or a partner. So it's also very important to have someone that, that if, if you're gone all of a sudden and you are the one who did the finances, met with the advisor, understood the risk, everything like that, if you're gone, what's next? So also inheriting lump sums of money becomes a pretty, a pretty big deal for these couples when the first one passes. And there's a lot of things that change and happen. So to me, I think if it's just picking, a, uh, just picking an investment, well, anyone can do that. But if it is actual planning and looking at a lot of different variables, I think it's very valuable to have someone who's been through the track. And also, it's maybe not just investment performance, but maybe just some of the psychology of retirement as well. David, what would you like to add? Well, I could add a lot. I mean, number one, accumulation of money in America is actually quite easy. You can pick really good funds. You can do it through your employer. They make it very easy for people to accumulate money if you want to. But just like anything else, uh, to me, when you get to retirement, that's not the end. That's like halftime. And it doesn't matter what the score at halftime is. It's the end of the game that counts. And, you know, you never know, Doug and I used to talk about this, I I used to enjoy mowing my grass, because when I mowed my grass, I could actually see something start to finish, you know, or maybe building a deck where you could see it finished and completed and you felt accomplished. But, you know, we don't really have that feeling in our everyday life, because, you know, now being in this almost 30 years, we have seen it come from day one of retirement to the final days. And it is very, very satisfing to see that and to see a plan come together and work the way it should. 
So to to Doug's point, I know this couple actually that you're talking about didn't know because I didn't have to review any of the questions or anything. But <laughs> before I called in, um, but you know he's really into it and she's not. They did do it together, uh, both. Uh, and when I say together, um, they kept themselves on a budget, which she she was fine with, and so she was working as well. Um, but it was mostly in his retirement accounts. He pays attention to it. He's listening to. He's you know watching it. But, um, you know, she's not really into it that much. So if something would happen to him, then what's she going to do? So having a relationship with someone uh, established um, that you can run things by, take some of the emotion out of what you're doing. Uh, Because, you know, the old saying is very few people die climbing Mount Everest. Most of the deaths occur on on the dissension, right? And that's really what you're doing in retirement. You accumulate, 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 but now... I've got to distribute it. How do I take money out? How do I measure and, and, and manage sequence of return risk, retiring in a bad market? How do I manage longevity risk? How do I manage you know, all of these different things, taxes, you know, my required minimum distributions? Who, who's forecasting those for you to say, wow, at age 80, your required distributions are so large, you cannot avoid the Medicare surtax charges. You can't, the net investment tax so by forecasting stuff out, that's what an advisor should be doing. Now, Doug started off with, they do this. I can tell you they should be doing this. Whether they're do, all doing it or not, probably not. That'd be my guess. <laughs> On that note, we got to take a break and come back for our last couple minutes. Stay with us. Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. Just a couple minutes left here on Your Money with David Hayes. Thanks for sending in your questions to us. Again, cfci.us. Click on Contact Us, and we'll get those answered for you right away. David, have a a good time and enjoy that uh, mysterious sun that we aren't seeing here in Indiana. We'll do it here in Scottsdale. I'm here with Will. He wanted to say bye to you, Jim. Hey, we'll see you, Jim. All righty, buddy. Good to hear from you, Will. (laughs) All right, guys. Wrap it up. Thanks. All right, David. Have a good week. Oh, goodness. Doug, it's always nice to see you. How did your conversation with Julian go last week? Oh, it was it was terrific. And I think if people uh, want to hear a, a very insightful perspective of someone who's clearly very well studied and uh, very, uh, very well traveled, knows he talked about some really interesting foreign com- companies. He talked about gold. He talked about the history of money and just a lot of really interesting stuff. He's mm-hmm. certainly, certainly worth listening to. Well, again, you can always catch a replay over at WGCLradio.com. Uh, click on the Your Money link, and you can listen to past shows over there. Um, we're also podcasting as well, so you can find us on Google Podcasts and iTunes, or it's Amazon Music and Apple Music. I'm, I'm getting old, and I don't know all these things anymore. I'm, I'm learning. So uh, Next week, I think we're going to try and go for an investment show. Hopefully, we'll get Rod Holloway in. And as David mentioned, in a couple of weeks, we have uh, Jolene Dixon from the Social Security Administration uh, coming in to answer a number of questions that we've had about Social Security and in many different ways. It's a big topic for a lot of people. Big topic. Yeah. Yep. Glad you're back in town, brother. Good to be back in town. All right. Everybody, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you miss any part of the show, Saturday morning, 8, or 8 a.m., 9 a.m.? Oh, my gosh. Blinking. 9 a.m. <laughs> I've only typed that 14 times in the last two days. But 9 a.m. here on WGCL Radio and, of course, streaming live at WGCLradio.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. The preceding program was brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities.